Okay, as most of us are aware of, we've been <clears throat> looking at the New Testament to see some teaching on how the church met according to the Bible, according to the New Testament. And yesterday we started a subject called fellowship in the local church. And we want to just reference uh, a verse for that. And then we'll just make a few comments Was what we'd like to do this morning, just in, in about five minutes, I hope, is summarize what we learned yesterday. Some of us were here and some of us were not here, but it was tremendous lessons both uh, brought to us by Brother Larry. And as we discussed, there was an open discussion in the subject of fellowship in the local church. But, uh, of course, Brother Larry was supposed to be along here this morning to do that. But somehow uh, he came here sick and he left sick and he has no voice left. So it reminded me of, you know, the conversion of the uh, uh, Saul of Tarsus, right? It says of Saul uh, uh, of Tarsus, it says, And the men, when he was converted, the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Now, in Larry's case, we can see a man, but hear no voice, right? He's lost it. He's, he's gone. He, we're, we're sad he's not here. But speaking of conversion, uh, those of us that are not familiar with Brother Larry, you might be interested to know uh, his, everybody that's saved has a remarkable testimony. Every individual that knows Christ as Savior, been called out of darkness into his own marvelous light, has a remarkable testimony. Some, it seems, are highlighted more than others, like Saul of Tarsus. And um, Larry has a, a tremendous testimony coming out of a bad background, but his uh, testimony is on recording. And if you look on voicesforchrist.org, you can, you can find it. It was actually broadcast on the Unshackled program, which comes out of Pacific Garden Mission in um, in Chicago. But what we'd like to do is just uh, look at Acts 2.42 and just in a few minutes summarize what we looked at yesterday and then Brother Tim will take it from there. Acts 2.42, the early church, right? It says that when they, they continued steadfastly or some of our translation devoted themselves continually to the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And that's what we're going to key in on. Fellowship. How important is it for fellowship in the local church? Partnership. Something in common. Now, we just want to point out a few things. First of all, we looked at yesterday the subject of fellowship versus membership in the local church. Now, it is not... What we what we looked at is there's no support in the New Testament for joining a church for what you can join. You can unjoin. There is one body. There's no local bodies. Yes, there's local churches, but there and there is many denominations, but there is only one body. And I think that's a good thing to get a hold of. There is many groups of believers, many local churches, but there is but one body. The New Testament says a number of times there is one body. That's the body of Christ. Those who have by grace received Christ as their savior and are born again and placed into that one body. One becomes a member of the church or of the body of Christ at conversion and then received into 
fellowship in a local church. By one spirit were we all, says 1 Corinthians 12, 12, by one spirit were we all baptized into one body. Now, what we looked at yesterday, I think, was a good definition of that. How is it that by one spirit we were all baptized into one body? When I came to know Christ as Savior, and I think probably for all here, we weren't there back in Acts chapter 2. But neither was I there in 1776 when the Constitution was signed. But when I'm born into America, right, as an American citizen, I partake of all the benefits. That's a weak example of how it is when a person is converted. By one spirit uh, were we all baptized into one body. So it's a wonderful thing to be converted, to know Christ as Savior. Once walking in darkness, now walking in light, converted to the Uh, glorious Savior. Those in local churches. Now, we looked at this in Luke chapter 5 in in the fishing business that uh, uh, James and John had. Those in local churches are likened to partners in a business. They take part of the benefits. They take part of the losses. It's possible. Now, this is an important point we made. It's possible to be part of a church, but not partnering that's pretty sad, right? In other words, it's, part, it's, it's possible to be part of a church, but not partnering in the activity, using the gifts that the Lord has given each of us and not participating in that local body. Sad, sad indeed. There's no drifting in and drifting out, which is so common in America today, right? Oh, I don't feel like going to church today. I don't feel like, you know, a little sniffle here. It's amazing how what we're loyal to. We can be we can we could be sick and dragged off to work or dragged off to leisure or dragged off to some pleasure or another. But a little sniffle comes up and the fellowship of the believers is just not that important. Remember. We want, to, we want to partner in what the Lord is doing, right? The Lord said, I will build my church, right? I will build my church. And so I would trust that each converted individual, each child of God, would want to take part in that building program and participate. Be a partner in that, visit, that, that building program. Utilize the gift that God has given you if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, and plug yourself into that local gathering. If you are in fellowship of that local church, plug yourself in. Don't treat it as a laissez-faire kind of thing. Brother Julio and I were talking that yesterday. The, one of the verses in the Bible says that there's a day coming when the Lord will wipe away all tears from our eyes. Now, I'm sure there's many more things that that could include. But I wonder if part of the wiping away of the tears is when we look back And we see what we could have done when the Lord was building his church. And we said, nothing doing. I don't want nothing to do with that. I've I've got to sleep today. I've got to play my golf. I've got to go on my boat ride. Whatever I have to do. I don't want to participate in that building program. But somehow we're going to be able to look back. You know, they say hindsight is 2020, right? We say that in our vernacular here. Hindsight is 2020. The Lord, we were talking, the Lord is giving us hindsight and a foresight view. Right? He's telling us we're going to, you know, wipe away all tears. Why not take serious what the Lord has put in His Holy Word and participate, partner in this local building program? Right? 
Join in that fellowship. Take serious. It's not loyalty to a building. It's not loyalty to the elders. It's loyalty to the head of the church. We are far more loyal to our pleasures, far more loyal to our recreation, far more loyal to our employment if we'd stop and take notice. Most of our association is with our work company. We, now, I, we know we have to. If a man doesn't work, don't let him eat. We're not, we're not sliding it. But we want to take care. May God give us the grace and wisdom to examine the Scriptures and see how we can draw nearer to the head of the church in his building program. Now, one, one more, two more things, and then Brother Tim. It's possible to be in... Excuse me. You can, it's, can, you can be part, a person can be part of the body of Christ, but not part of a local church. We got that from 1 Corinthians 5. There's an inside and an outside. The individual... There was sin in the camp. The Apostle Paul wrote, put him out. Right? There's an inside and then I'll put that person out. Now, we know from later scriptures, it appears that he was genuine, genuinely a believer. He repented and he was brought back in to that assembly. So we want to take careful note that it's possible. And we have a situation right in our own fellowship here. We heard about it last week. Right? It's part of, possible to be a believer, part of the body of Christ, but not part of a local church because of disciplinary measures. Right? In other words, a person could be fit for heaven, but not fit for a local assembly. First Corinthians 5. That's, that's, that seems like a hard pill to swallow, but we know it's true because the apostle says, put away from yourselves that wicked person. Have no fellowship with him. Remember, we made an announcement last week. We want to, but we want to all the while be... Uh, concerned in praying for those uh, that are in that condition and under discipline. Lastly, each member of the body takes ownership in the body to fulfill their responsibility. Give account of your stewardship, the Lord says, right? We have, you have a gift. The Lord wants us to utilize that gift. There wasn't a gift in just to bury, hide it, bury it, uh, to dig it, bury it under uh, the, the sand and, and, and not use it. No, he wants us to utilize our gifts to participate in this building program. They continued steadfastly. How devoted are we to the fellowship of the local assembly? We want to examine ourselves. May the Lord give us grace and wisdom to obey the word of God. You know, we're going to give an account to the head of the church one day, aren't we? We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every Christian is going to stand before the Lord. There can be no mommy, no daddy, no priest, no, no prophet, no preacher. Just me and the Lord. And I have his word. And I want to give an account, and I believe you do too. You want to give an account to measure up to what you know the word of God told you. He knows the heart. He knows the motives. He knows the thoughts. Right? We want to hear a glad, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So may this subject of fellowship uh, uh, be impressed upon our hearts. And Brother Tim will continue. A little hard to follow after Malcolm's non-energetic way of putting it forth. Let's just uh, start with, let's just have a word of prayer, okay? Father, we do thank you for your goodness, your love to us. Lord, we thank you for bringing us here this morning and that we can freely read your word. What a 
privilege we have in this. And Lord, as our brother even said, help us to take in your word and make application in our own lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, okay, well, it's a, it is a huge topic, this whole idea of fellowship. And um, I've got several notes here. I don't actually have Larry's notes because I tried to read them. And I thought, wow, he writes even worse than I do. Um, it's actually pretty good, I suppose, for him. But it's really hard to read someone else's notes. But um, I think what Malcolm is trying to put across here, why is this place a little bit different, right? Why do we want, well, what, what I, I'm just speaking for on behalf of uh, Boulevard Bible Chapel, but I think they would say something like this. Well, we want to pattern ourselves after what we see in the New Testament. In other words, we want to practice what it says in the book. Right? That would be pretty simple, right? That's what we want to do. I mean, if God says we should do it this way, we want to do it. And that should be everyone's goal. Well, when we look at the New Testament church and its practices, I mean, you've been going through this study. Um, Last week, we looked at the priesthood of the church. I think before that, you know, the idea being how we're to function. The week before that, I think you saw church government, you know, the roles of elders. Today, the topic is going to be on this idea of fellowship, and really a question, are you in fellowship? That's really what Malcolm was bringing forth, right? We can be in, but we're not really in, right? Um, Let's look. I'm going to go through a lot of scriptures this morning, and I'm probably not going to give you time to look there, because uh, otherwise we'll be here a long, long time. But it would be good for you just to think on them. If you want notes afterwards, I'd be happy to share that with you. Well, Malcolm made mention of Matthew 16, 18, okay? And so you can turn there if you like, and this is what it says. The Lord, remember in, uh, what is it, Matthew 16:13, he comes to the coast of uh, Caesarea Philippi, and he asks his disciples, whom do uh, men say that I, the Son of Man, am? You know, and some said, well, you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, and some said Jeremiah, or some of the, or one of the prophets. But he said, who do you say I am? And this is where Simon Peter, remember, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Lord reminds him, he says, you know, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, really speaking of himself, I will build, and then we hear this first word here, my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now what does this word church mean? Well, we see in this verse here, we see that it's still something still in the future, isn't it? I will build. Right, And so what had to happen? Well, he had to die, he had to be resurrected, resurrected, and he had to ascend in order for it to be established. But the word for church, and I mean, you've probably covered this already, so a lot of this, you're going to go, well, I just heard Malcolm say a lot of this stuff, because it's going to be reiterated to you right, on this subject. But um, the Greek word for church is ekklesia, which is made up of a compound word. It's uh, two words, ek meaning out and kaleo meaning called. Um, I always give this for an example because I think it's the best one that I can think of. When I was in Nigeria, I went into a meeting there, a group of believers, and on the door it said, uh, what did it say? It said a group of the Lord's called out ones. And that's really what we're talking about here. That's what the word means. Because this same word that is used here for church, which is assembly, a little further on in the book of Acts, when you, when you look in, uh, I think it's Acts 19, you'll see there's this mob 
of people, and they're really they're trying to kill Paul. They hate Paul, and they're they're going against the message of the gospel, and it gives that same word. And the thought is, it's a people with a common purpose or goal in gathering. And of course, the Lord makes application to His people, a group of called out ones to Him. Another thing we should note here, it's His church. And I mean, I kind of pounded that point last week a little bit. But it's good to note that it's His church. In other words, should we just do it whatever way we think is right? Or should we really look to Him? I, You know, I... I think Larry made mention of somebody working at Walmart, right? You know, and the guy gives him his blue uniform, and he says, "No, I don't. Sorry, blue's not my color. I want black. That's my color." The guy's going to say, "Yeah, okay. There's the other door over there." You know, doesn't work that way. It doesn't work in life that way. Why should we feel it should work with the Lord? Shouldn't it even be more so that we would want to do exactly what He says? And so often we don't. So we know it's his church, he has instructions, and we should uh, try and follow him. Some have said this, well, I don't really see a pattern. I said, well, really? Have you not read the New Testament? I mean, it seems to show me a very direct pattern that he wants to have us, how we're to be, how we're to come together, the whole idea of church government, his structure for it. I mean, you go through um, Titus and you look at uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, you see the structure for elders and so on, how the church should be. We see these, uh, really a blueprint. Now, I'm just going to add a couple of things. In verse um, 19, you see this. He says to Peter, he says, I will give you to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth uh, shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I'm just going to submit to you that the keys really here, I believe, are really speaking about, he give Peter the privilege of opening the door. That's what you use a key for, right? And he gives Peter the privilege of preaching the gospel to the Jews. We see in Acts chapter 2. Remember, it's Peter that's being used by the Lord. And then you see in Acts chapter 8 where you have the Samaritans. These are the half-breeds, okay? And believe me, Peter probably didn't, wasn't too thrilled to go and talk to them about the gospel. And then further on, we see in Acts 10, now it's the Gentiles. And of course, the Lord has to work on Peter, right? Do you remember the story with the net? Let's down this net. And, you know, there's unclean food in there. You know, and he says, the Lord lays it down and says, Peter, kill it and eat. Whoa, no way, Lord. And I always say, you know, those two words should never go together, right? No and Lord. I mean, Lord means you do what he says, right? But it's interesting, the Lord works on him. And then we see that the Gentiles, you and me, are brought in into this... Uh, what the Lord has for us, this idea of the church. Now, if you look, you'll see this is the mystery that's talked about in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says this. He talks about this um, mystery. In verse 6, he says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body. And you'll notice it's singular. And Malcolm really stressed that. We're going to see this idea. There's only one body. Okay, It's very important to see that. And partakers of his promise in Christ um, by the gospel. Um, now, how do you enter in? Well, Malcolm made mention of that. The idea of John chapter 1. Remember, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. The Jewish people didn't want anything to do with him. But he, then he says, but as many as received him or trust him 
To them He gave the right or the authority to become children of God. To those who believe on His name. That's what they had to do. So if you're there, you understand you're a sinner. You read, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Oh, I guess I qualify for that. I'm a sinner. I was saying to the guy the other day, I knew I qualified big time for that one. Okay, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Oh, that's not good. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So you realize that, you trust Him, you put your confidence in Him, you are, as Malcolm said earlier, baptized with the idea of brought into this one body. And here he's saying both Jew and Gentile. Now, um, sorry, I'm losing my notes. Now, over in, um, yeah, I think we'll look at this, because he just made mention of this. Over in, um, for instance, Romans chapter 12, but you can see this in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, um, Ephesians 4, and uh, even in 1 Peter 4, where we see these are the chapters that deal with spiritual gift, right, that God gives. You'll also note this, you know, it's almost like he keeps driving home this point of this idea of the oneness of the body, right? He, he just keeps going. He goes, here's uh, Romans 12. He says, for his... We have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. Verse 4. Verse 5. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members of one another. We're all joined at the hip, as it were. Okay. He goes on with this, um, continuing this thought all the way through this. And then you look at 1 Corinthians 12, and you see even more of an emphasis on it. He tells us in 12.12, For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For we by one Spirit are, all, are we all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Gentile, that's what we've already read. For the body is not one member, but many. And, of course, he goes on to give illustrations. You know, how can, you know, if you think in your physical sense, how does that work? I mean, how can your hand start doing, you know, something outside? I mean, that's what you see when there's a problem, right? If your hand says, look, I'm going on strike. I'm not feeding that guy anymore. I've had enough of that. Man, I'm working all the time. I'm not getting any benefit out of it. The stomach is going, buddy, come on, I'm starving. Actually, it probably take me a while, you know, but I mean, it doesn't work, does it? Well, this is how he goes and describes this idea of the one body. And so is it important? He seems to think it's fairly important, right? And he goes all the way through this chapter. This is what you see again and again and again. He says, but now God has set the members, every one of them in the, it's not bodies, but it's the body as it has pleased him. So there's only one, one body, one body, verse 20, one body, verse 22, uh, the body. Verse 23, the members of the body. Verse 24, the body. Verse 25, the body. Here he goes on to say that there's no uh, schism or um, division within the body. And then it says in, in verse 26, it reminds us, if one member suffers, we all suffer. Sometimes you have Christians shooting down another Christian. It's totally wrong, right? I mean, if anything, you, you as a Christian should be trying to get the guy to go up here, or the girl, trying to help them. And it, of course, he reminds us in, in uh, verse 27, 
this singular aspect. Now you are not the bodies of Christ, but the body of Christ. That's what you are. If you trusted him, you're part of the body. And then Malcolm has, of course, made reference to the local um, group of, of Christians, a group of called out ones. Now, what do we see in Christendom today? Well, we see the opposite of this. And I'm not trying to slam other things, other de- denominations and so on, but do they practice this truth about the oneness of the body? The moment you have a group that says, you know, we're the Baptist, we're the Southern Baptist, are there any Northern Baptists? And, you know, we're the Western Baptists, I don't know. You know, you have all these different facets. What are they doing? They're actually trying to separate themselves from the body, aren't they? Isn't that what you're doing? The moment you put a distinct name there is trying to say that you're different than other people. This is kind of where we differ. I mean, you would get that when you start talking to someone. Where do you go? See, what they're doing is they're trying to get a box there and stick you in the box, right? And they're trying to find out where you differ on different things. I can understand some of that. But this is why the the thought of denominations is just wrong. It's contrary to what we see within the one body. We just don't see it. Now, um, over in Ephesians chapter 4, if if our desire would be the desire that the the Lord's desire is, we'll look at this just for one verse for a minute. Um, he tells us, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How? One body, one Spirit. Even as you're called in one hope of your calling. He goes on, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and so forth. And this is exactly what you see when you go over to um, John's Gospel. Remember the Lord's Prayer there in John 17. Maybe that's a good one to look at as well. John 17. I mean, this is now the heart of the Savior. He's praying to the Father. What's he praying about? This is, a, this is what he says. That they all may be one. As you, Father, in, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. So you see unity in our witness, right? This is the idea, being unified in Him. Now, um, since the birth of the church in Acts 2, it wasn't physically possible for them to all get together, was it? I mean, I'd love to be able to get together with you guys here in, Eb- or here in Florida, okay? But up in Canada, I can't really do that. I mean, I've got my friend Josh here. He lives in Edmonton. He's 600 miles away. It's not possible for us to get together, right? So you see, even from the early church, God designs it so that there's local body of, or local group of Christians that can come together and meet together, okay? And then within this structure, He designs church government, how they're to meet, how they're to practice, and so on. Now, uh, when you think of this idea, you know, being Matthew 16, that it's his church, his way, etc., what should be our primary goal in adjoining or coming into a fellowship of believers? What should we be looking for? Now, often, it's not what it should be, okay? Uh, I would submit to you that often people come, they come to a local church to check it out, as it were, and usually it's something like this. Well, what's the music like? 
Is it good music? I really like the music. Or if I don't like the music, I'm out of there. Okay? Or, you know, what's the youth group like? Do they have a vibrant youth group? I mean, we've got three kids. We've got to be careful with the kids. They don't have a good youth group. We're out of there. Other times, you know, people look at, uh, um, you know, does it have a good nursery? Well, that's important. It certainly is if you have a child, isn't it? And, uh, you know, what about the preacher? Oh, man, that guy from Canada. I thought it was supposed to be Larry Price. What a ripoff, you know? <laughs> you know, does that play into what we, we look at? I mean, what should be our primary reason for coming? I, I would submit to you this. I really like this in uh, our meeting in, in uh, Canada. They have uh, scripture behind or part of a scripture um, from Colossians. It just says, in all things he shall have the preeminence, right? That's what we want. That's what every Christian really wants, okay? It's just so often we don't think about that. And so when we adjoin ourselves to a, a local group, what should really be is, is this. What place does this have in, the play, in their place? Is it, does it have the preeminence? Or is it the preacher? Is it the program? What is it that has the preeminence? And if it's not centered on the Word of God, well, then you shouldn't adjoin yourself to it. If it is, then you want to, right? You should want to. And I guess the idea is, you know, with uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31, you know, whether in word or in deed, whether you eat, whether you sleep, do all to the glory of God. And hopefully that's what you want to see within a local gathering of believers that you see. Now, I'm just going to touch on a couple of things that you've already looked at before, but just because I want to bring into the idea of reception and looking at reception, okay? Church government, okay? So we, you probably looked at this in depth, I'm sure. But you see in God's wisdom um, that He, in 1 Timothy and Titus, you can look at this, that uh, God will raise up shepherds, okay? Overseers, elders, it's, they use that same word in different places. Now, one of the primary thing is they have a love for the flock of God. That's what really distinguishes them in some ways. I remember when, we, when I was an elder and we announced kind of like what Dave did. It was interesting when he announced that. We're going to be coming to see you, but don't worry. <laughs> I remember the first girl we went to, we went to her house and it was just like she was having a heart attack, you know. She was having palatation. I said, no, no, we're just here to pray with you. Oh, oh. I was so worried. You know, I said, no, we're just, we're, we're concerned for you. We, we, we just want to know if there's any, any issues you have and, and that, you know, you might have within the fellowship or any way we can help you and, and so on. That should be what we're all doing, but in particular for the oversight. They have a real burden, a love for the people of God. And, of course, you'll notice in the Scripture, and you probably saw this, there's always a plurality of leaderships. It's like the Lord safeguards that idea of one being a diatrophies over top of everyone else. And one of the uh, characteristics of, uh, or one of the qualifications for an elder is that not to be self-willed. In other words, it's not his way. It's not the other guy's way. It's God's way. That's what we want, right? Now, you also notice in 1 Peter 5 that it says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, not below you, right? And so you don't want to have an elder who is ruling it over the people. That's not like that. He sees himself as a fellow brother trying to help them as best he can. Um, you know, I think one brother was saying, the idea being is that 
you are, you know, it's like in, in, in child rearing. You're trying to do everything you can to help the child to grow or help the believer to grow. That's what they want to do. And sometimes there's different ways of doing that, isn't there? But all, it's all to the, to the benefit of the person. Now, um, so within this idea of church order, there's their responsibility. Actually, it tells us in, uh, in Hebrews that they have to give an account for your soul. So it's a pretty, you don't want to enter into that job just for the sake of entering it, do you? Because you've got to give an account for all those people. And, you know, so they're, they're, uh, they're submitting to, their, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ is giving them the authority to look after and shepherd the flock that's, that's among them. What's your responsibility? Well, your responsibility is to follow what they do. That's how you bring glory to God. The moment you say, well, you know, I don't really like the way that guy's leading. Well, you're taking that authority onto yourself. I don't like what one person said. Well, look, you know, what if you do if your elders are no good at all? Well, you just simply go above them. What do you mean? Well, you go to the head. Go to the Lord. Bring it to Him. I mean, if it bugs you, and I can't say this for here, but I've been in some places where it's very dysfunctional. The oversight is dysfunctional. And, you know, people have said to me, oh, you know, if you could come or do this. I said, well, I said, have you ever thought to bring it to the Lord? Well, what do you mean? I said, well, if it bugs you, don't you think it bugs him? I mean, it probably bugs him more, wouldn't it? That would make sense. Why don't you go to him? Bring your concern to him. Make it a daily time where you go to before the Lord. Help those guys. Raise them up. I've seen uh, men who were basically doing nothing okay, in, in an assembly. And I've seen those same guys get married to a spiritual girl. And all of a sudden, that guy is like very spiritual. You know, all of a sudden he's, and she's lifting him up. She's building him up, getting him, raising him up. And we can do that with one another, can't we? Now, okay. Um, I'm just bringing this in a roundabout way, this idea of our position, what we need to do. Because we as sheep, we must be in submission to those in authority over us. That's what God's plan is. And it brings him glory. And so there, within that, we want to look at the subject of reception or being brought into a group of believers. I mean, what is there a process? Who should be received? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? What if we don't like the color of your skin or we don't like the way you talk? You say, man, you say, hey, too many times, buddy. You can't come in here. Um, how does that work? Right? Well, we want to go back to the Scriptures. What does it say? We want to accept everyone that the Lord accepts, right? They're part of His body. We want to extend fellowship to them. And so we want to take anyone who's truly born again, um, that's part of the universal body, they're already part of that body, and they want to come in uh, with us. Now, we also want to look at those people. We want to make sure, though, that the doctrines or the teachings that they have are not contrary to what we believe and practice and uh, we teach. In other words, we want to make sure that we're all on the same page. I mean, that would make sense. Otherwise, as somebody said, it'd be like the Miami Dolphins playing football, you know. I don't know who called to play, you know. I don't know. You know, it's chaos, Right. So we, we really need this idea, making sure that we're on the same page, keeping the unity. Now, how do we go about doing this? Well, 
Here, I'm just going to read you something. Well, sometimes a statement of faith is very good for this, okay? Now, I'm not saying you have to have a written statement of faith, but you need to have a clear understanding of what you believe here and what's going to be taught here, right? The oversight will obviously take the lead in this. And someone says, you know, they come in, they say, hey, this is a pretty good place. You know, they actually took me out to dinner and a whole bit. Maybe I'm going to join myself to that group. Well, they should know what it is you believe, right? And that would make sense. I mean, it's, it's not fair not, not to. All right, so here's something that we wrote up. We did a statement of faith, and we thought, well, the reason why we did this, this isn't the Magna Carta or whatever you want to call it. This, isn't, uh, this is just what we believe the Scriptures teach, and we want to follow this. And so one of the things is we put on this statement of faith is we listed some different things. I think it was seven things. The Bible, one God, the Lord Jesus, spiritual death and spiritual birth, redemption, the Holy Spirit, resurrection of the, of the saved and the lost. Okay? Now, these are fundamentals. In other words, if you don't believe one of these things, well, you're not saved, so there's no way you're going to be able to enter into a fellowship with us. Okay? And so we would say that uh, you know, there's no moving on this. But then we added on this, we further believe, and then there was some things that, were, that we thought were very important, but you could, not necess- you could disagree okay, with those things, or one of those things, or a couple of them, or whatever the case is, as long as, and this is where we brought in the idea of reception, we said this. Um, why we have this, we said this, for the purpose of guarding the assembly and maintaining harmony in the church, A person who desires reception into the assembly to come in is expected to read through this, you know, the statement of faith and guiding principles, how we work here in our our meeting. And then at the end of this, we said, you know, that there'll be, we'll give you this and you read through this and then we'll have a discussion with you on it. And then one of the things we said, upon a clear confession of faith, you understand what it is, you're truly saved and so on. Well, we have here, and a promise to maintain the existing harmony in the assembly. If you believe one way on an issue, and it's something that means a lot to you, right? And this place thinks of it differently, there's going to be a conflict there, isn't there? And this often often is what happens. So this is a really great safeguard um, on this basis. And often, I, I think for myself, that if you don't have this, or something like this, you're going to be in trouble. It's going to come back on you sooner or later. What do I mean by that? Well, for instance, you have someone who comes in. Because there are churches similar to this that they have no idea, no, no reception policy whatsoever. In other words, you come in, you're part of the furniture after a while, okay, you're in. I guess you're in. Because there is no in and there's no out. Well, there's a lot of problems there, isn't there? What do you do if there is a problem? How do you kick someone out if they've never been brought in, for instance, okay? It's hard, isn't it? And actually, this is actually what happened with, with uh, a group of believers in Kansas. They had a lady that came, in to, you know, came to be with them, but they didn't have any form of a reception policy. So basically, they just had it where you were in, you were sort of part of us, and so on. Well, she had been there for quite a while, and all of a sudden they found out uh, she was uh, having an affair. She was in sin. And, uh, you know, and anyway, she was involved in adultery. And so they thought, oh, whoa, this is terrible. 
And so they went. They tried to follow Matthew 18. One person went to her. Then a couple people went to her. And then the church got together and they decided, well, they had to discipline her. And so publicly, they put her out of the meeting. Well, she sued. Right? She went in and she sued them. And I'll tell you this, she won the court case and they lost their building. Now, you're probably saying, oh, that's not fair. It's totally fair, okay? Because she didn't know what she was being brought into. She went there, that's total defamation of character. You're slandering me before people and so on. You never told me. They didn't, unfortunately. They just assumed that she would have known that, you know, you're underneath our authority here and so on. Well, she didn't know. Or at least that's what she claimed in court. And the judgment went towards her. Okay, so that's, you know, another reason why. Now, when you come in, you want to know, as Malcolm pointed out, the idea that, well, you're, you're joining a family. I, I said to um, Josh, I said, you know, let's say we were younger and I, I went over to your house and I, you know, I stayed over at your house. We were the same age, let's say, and, uh, you know, in the morning your dad wakes up, whoa, who are you? Yeah, I'm Tim. Well, he'd probably go, okay, friend of Josh is all right. Now, if he came down there and he came in, he'd go, who are you? Tim. And he looks, and I've got a big suitcase with me. He goes, whoa, 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 Tim, what are you doing? Yeah, I decided to move in with Josh. Josh said it was okay. He'd probably say, ho, 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 hold on a minute. It's one thing to sleep over. It's a whole other story if you're moving in here. Because here we have different rules, Tim. And maybe he'd bring me aside and he'd say, well, look, if you want to come here, you're really joining our family, aren't you? And so if you're going to come into our family... Tim, there's a bunch of rules. You better make sure that you, you agree with these before you come in. Because we're happy right now, and maybe you'll make this no good. Right? That's what you would do in life, wouldn't you? Well, if you think of the assembly as a family, that's sort of what we're talking about here. And so, obviously, you want to make sure that you're on the same page. Now, I've had great fellowship, been in assemblies with people that disagree on minor things. But they know that publicly, uh, for instance, I know one brother who is a, a, a strong Calvinist, okay? But he has no problem submitting to the authority of the local body who doesn't believe that, that particular doctrine. And so he doesn't teach it publicly and he doesn't teach it privately what he believes. He just is in submission to the oversight. And it's great fellowship and he's a great brother. But for another one, let's say in that same situation, he just can't handle it. He's got to tell what he thinks is true. And so even though we believe this, he, what, what's happening? He's now sowing discord amongst the brethren. Something that God hates. And it causes disunity, right? So that's why it's very important to make sure, not that you know we're all going to be in the same little boxes, but that we're willing to work with the body. And we see this. Uh, so important. Um, just turn to 1 Corinthians 5. As I can see, we're already... clock's going a lot faster than I thought here. Okay. Uh, 
Okay, so since someone comes, and let's say they come here for a while, and, and then, you know, um, what would probably happen here is I'm sure Malcolm and Aaron and Dave would probably try and meet with them and say, hey, I see you're coming. You seem to enjoy it. Would you, are you desiring to come in and be part of our family here at, at uh, Boulevard Bible Chapel? And then they would probably go through. Well, this is kind of, you've probably noticed here, it's a little bit different. You know, I'm not called Pastor Malcolm. You know, and uh, different things like that. You probably notice a few things that are a bit different. And they would go through this, explaining the different aspects. And then you'd probably, I'm not sure if you do publicly, probably, I think you do here. Yeah, I've seen that here, where you'd probably even have the person come up and you'd say, you know, this so-and-so desires to come into fellowship. Our practice, what we did, is we would make it known to the assembly a week prior to announcing the brother or sister, you know, is desiring to come into fellowship. And we did that for two reasons. One was to give them time to know the person, to pray for the person, but also if there's any problem that we are unaware of. Right? Hold on a minute. Do you know what that guy's done? No, I don't. Tell me about it, you know. So you want to know. And so these are just practices that, uh, that we were doing. I'm not sure exactly um, what is done here. But... Um, Let's look at 1 Corinthians 5. Now, this chapter deals with the necessity of disciplinary action because one of the family has committed serious sin of a public nature. Now, remember, one body, and in particular, it's the one body here. So you're joined at the hip. If somebody does something wrong, they look at you too, and you should really feel it that way. And I was really encouraged to hear you praying for a brother that is in sin right now and that you you know that you're praying for him and you're not letting it go but you're just bringing it up because he still hasn't repented so you have to continually bring these things up well here we see in, in this portion let's just look at this 1 Corinthians 5 and the idea here is to restore glory to God that's why discipline is being done isn't it keep it pure also in the eyes of the world how do they view it I mean, look at how they viewed these guys. Look at verse 1. It's reported commonly, right? That means this. Everybody knows about this, right? We don't act like that, but they do. Man, what a kind of a charge is that? But this is really what's being said here in verse 1. You know, apparently this sin was all over town. Um, it was so vile that, you know, even the nations wouldn't have done it. This guy's around there. The sin was the man's mother had died and his father was remarried and so decides to sleep with her. You know, now some have said, well, what about the woman? How come she's not being disciplined? Well, she is probably an unbeliever, right? I, I would assume that because you don't see any discipline towards her. Now in verse 2, what does he say? He basically says, and you're puffed up, the, you know, arrogant. The, I think the thought here is you go, well, it's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. But that's what Christendom does, you know. It seems like, you know, it kind of goes like this. Well, it's not very good, not very good. It's not very good. Well, it's not that bad. Oh. It just sort of quiets down, right? It's bad. God sees it as bad. We have to keep it up here the whole time. There's no fudging on this. We had discipline in Ireland where we had to put someone out. Same thing for fornication. It was his mother that brought the charge. He had already left the meeting. We felt it was necessary to do this. 
And so we went to him, told him, look, this is what we're going to do if you don't do it. And he didn't. And we, we said to the assembly, and this is where I think we erred. We talked about it afterwards. We said, well, this is what the Scripture says. This is what we're going to do. Instead of saying, this is what the Scripture says. This is what we need to do. You see, because it's the church that disciplines. It's not, don't hang it on Malcolm or Dave or Aaron. Everyone is involved. See, that's God's plan. And the reason why it's important is this. That's what brings by, by restoration. Because it's not done right. guy goes, oh, well, forget those guys. Now, he's already in sin, so whatever you do, he's going to see as wrong. Okay? Or she. Okay? They're gonna, those guys, they're judging me. They're, all this sort of stuff. They're always going to see it that way because they're in sin. But if you follow God's plan, don't you think it'll work? He has a structure there. Now, it's very... Imagine, here you got a brother, two brothers. They're living together, sort of thing. You can't even eat with them. Well, that's what it says. If you follow that through, don't you think it'll be a little, little edgy in the home? Mostly, it's not. I've seen families where you've got... They talk, they carry on like it's normal. They just don't talk about spiritual things. That's not what Scripture is teaching. I think, personally, if you... You know, and this is what I said to the assembly there afterwards that, you know, I see Paul, because there was a lot of family members involved with him. They just treated it like normal. With, you know, they agreed with what was happening, but they weren't practicing what was being said. And I said, you know what? If you all just put him out to the world, that's the idea. Remember, they cast him away to Satan. Then it gives him to reflect, because the world's not going to do anything for him, right? And after a while, I think they start thinking, man, this is wrong. I've done this and I've turned my side. I just saw a guy restored after uh, 31 years. Pretty impressive to see this guy crying as he's up at the Lord's Supper. This is a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, you know, and actually the, what I heard of the whole situation was only partly his fault. But eventually it took 31 years before he got brought back to the Lord. And you don't want to see that, do you? You know, see, 31 days is too long. And, you know, the beauty of this story as you go through it, we're out of time, but let me just touch on just a few verses here. Um, well, let's verse 6 and 7. It says, Your glory is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So he, he, he describes it like this. He says, It's going to ruin everyone. It's, just, it's not a little thing. It's not just a minor issue. It's a big issue. It's like cancer. It's going to spread to everything. A good illustration, you take a rotten apple, you throw it in a bin of apples and leave it for a week. You know what happens? It wrecks all the other ones. The other ones don't make it better, I'll tell you this, right? It ruins all the other ones. Now he goes on, he, he reminds him here in verse 7, and I think this is good, he says, For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. I think he's reminding him what sin did to the Savior. It put him to the cross. Not a big thing. No, not at all. It's a huge thing. Why don't we treat it as such? And then he goes on, verse 8, he says, Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness. And I think here, this is really, you know, reflects us in our, in our this, the feast here, I think, refers to our lives as believers, how we should react, how we should be. Now, we'll just 
finish off, I want to look at three scriptures. Um, but you know, the, the big picture that God shows throughout this portion, and of course if you go to 2 Corinthians, as Malcolm mentioned, the goal is for restoration. This guy is brought back in. I bet you there was a great hallelujah going that day. They were thrilled having this guy brought back because they followed what the scripture said. And I think the idea being is Paul is putting forth, you know, God's holy. Peter would tell us, you know, be holy as he is holy. So it's, it's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to mimic him. We're supposed to be just like the Lord Jesus. I mean, that's what we're saved for, right? Being conformed to the image of his son. That's what he's doing in each one of us. And so I just want to, for us who are in fellowship in the local assembly, here's three things that you can do to encourage growth in believers, in your fellow believers. First one is in um, Hebrews 10.24. And the idea here is to admonish. How? How to build saints, to encourage, help them to grow. Well, it tells us to provoke one another, you know, not poke them with a stick, but provoke them with good works. I mean, I see this here happening all the time with different people, okay? Different things you say, a word of encouragement. Marilyn said, wow, thanks for vacuuming. I, that's probably the worst vacuuming job ever here, you know? But, I mean, those little things that you say, hey, thanks for, you know, I mean, not trying to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, that's it. Thank you, brother. Not trying to flatter someone, but actually meaning it, right? Trying to encourage them, bring them up. So admonishing, stirring them on for good. Look for good things to say. And the second one is bearing up. Here, This is the idea behind Galatians 6 too, right? You who are spiritual. If you're really spiritual, right, what's it say? You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. You know, there was a story told about John Nelson Darby, and he was out going on horseback, and they were going to go to a guy, and this is the same thing. It was a scenario where this guy was involved in sin. And they were praying. They are busy, fervent in prayer before they went. And the one brother, you know, as he's praying, he says, I can't believe he's doing, you know, he did this. And so, you know, Darby looked at him and said, well, you're not coming with me. He said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, if you don't know that you could do the same thing, you have no right going to this brother. How can you do that? We're all made of the same cookie dough, right? We can all do wrong things. And so the idea, though, with Galatians is that, okay, you, you've, you know, they've been taken hostage by the enemy. And you're trying to help them get them out of there. That's the thought. And so it doesn't matter whether it's in this or something they're doing maybe in their life. You who are spiritual, try and help them. Try and encourage them. And the C here on the A, B, and C is comfort. Um, here is from 1 Thessalonians 5.14. And uh, I think the King James, I'll just you know, turn there so I read, don't mess it up. Okay. The King James says this, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. It says, Comfort the feeble-minded or the faint-hearted. And the, and the word there really is the small soul or, or small spirit. Okay, Someone that just can't take the pressures. 
Maybe you can, but they can't. Usually as we go, like, come on, man up, you. you know? that's, that's, that's what I do anyway. But, you know, the thought here is, no, help them. Help them out. How are you going to do that? We usually think of it like, well, just get over it. Get on with it. No, no, no. The idea here is come alongside. Help them out. Bring them along. And we should be striving towards that. Now let's uh, just close in a word of prayer. Lord, uh, we just want to thank You for Your patience and Your love toward us. And uh, we want to pray for this assembly. Pray for the oversight here. Pray for each one who is here, Lord, that we would have desire to be um, fully involved in what You'd have us do. Lord, that we would uh, desire uh, to be more like the Lord Jesus. And we just pray this again in Jesus' name. Amen.